Amen and amen. And as they collect our uh, tithes, our offerings, and our giving, let me give you a few announcements that are happening. And that is, uh, Sunday is New Year's Day. And uh, we're going to have one service on New Year's Day. It'll be our 10 o'clock service. And uh, we're going to just come, we're going to gather together, we're going to have a complete service, and we're going to usher in this new year right in the presence of God with each other together. want you to be a part of that. And then uh, we do not, excuse me, we do not have any service that Sunday night. And so only one service on New Year's Day at 10 a.m. I want you to come, and I want you to come expecting I want you to come ready to worship, ready to give God our very, very best. And then uh, we get back to regularly scheduled services. Of course, Wednesday night, uh, our, our uh, uh, Wednesday night services. But then Sunday, January the 8th, uh, Sunday morning, we'll have service. But that Sunday night at 6 p.m., we'll, we'll worship God. We'll come together. But we're also going to have our time of communion that we do at the first of the year, our consecration. And Brother James Littles is going to be speaking during that service. I promise you, you have never uh, seen a communion the way he can help direct a communion through teaching and preaching and directing us. And I want him to come and he's going to lead us in all of that in, in Jesus' name. Come expecting, come believing. That God is going to do great things. He's going to go beyond our wildest dreams, beyond our wildest imaginations, beyond our wildest faith-filled prayers. But also 2017 needs to be a year that we go beyond. Go beyond our worship that we've ever done before, beyond our giving, beyond our sacrifice, beyond our service, that we could give it all to Him. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12? I was joking with those that were going to be on the platform that we're going to get through Hebrews tonight if I have to preach three hours. They didn't appreciate that, and I don't think it would take that long, but we are going to do our very best to conclude our Hebrews study and let it happen at the end of the year. And I think the way that Hebrews ends is a perfect catalyst or catapult into 2000. In 17. Hallelujah. It's good to see friends. It's good to see uh, uh, Sister Beth Ann and Caleb and uh, Kaysen and, and who? Keen. Uh, Kingston. I'm glad that, that they are here and uh, Kaysen came and gave me a big, a big uh, uh, high five and I was glad for that. Good to see the Richardsons. I think some of them are downstairs helping out either in nursery or jam, but I'm glad that y'all are here. And we appreciate y'all making this kind of a, a home base when you're in the St. Louis area. And, uh, and then we, we, we congratulated her on her engagement. But uh, Sister Jennifer Sargent, who is not here now, she, she disappeared. But she was here and she is getting married uh, Saturday down in Mount Vernon, uh, uh, Missouri. Stephanie, I mean, sorry, Stephanie. And, uh, uh, and she is getting married to uh, Brother Jordan Wyatt. Uh, Brother, Brother Wyatt, his dad, pastors there in Mount Vernon. And so we're going to miss her being here, but we, we give honor to that. And we are excited that God is going to have his hand on that marriage together uh, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. What I want to do tonight, and, and the only way that I can get through this is we're going to just kind of read a verse 
And if you'll give me a little bit of, of words to just try to perhaps flesh out that verse, maybe let that verse come alive a little better. But we're not going to take a lot of time on most of these verses. In fact, if you really would read them, they are for the most part pretty self-explanatory. But I want to just kind of wrap everything up that Hebrews that we've learned about. We slogged through some of Hebrews. We took our time. It was deep. We had to think. We had to allow the Word of God to expand our minds. We had to, to see uh, the Jesus and what that incarnation and that sacrifice really meant. And it forces us to see Him as, as we talked about in our worship uh, service. We had to truly get to that place where we saw Jesus in a light we never have seen before. Not that it changes him, not that we're preaching a new doctrine of any sort, but just to step back and realize the incredible glory and majesty and power that, was, that, that happened when Jesus was born all the way to the time that he died and rose again and what it meant for our salvation. We don't have, there, there, there's no other greater thing than to know we have a high priest that has died for our sins. And I'm thankful for that. Last week, we got into the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, and we saw that all of their faith, while they did great exploits, they were looking for something that was not of this earth. And they were looking to an eternal Reward. None of them had received it yet because as we learned previously in chapter 10 that, that those that were born and died under the old covenants they could not fully be redeemed until that blood was shed on Calvary. And so they died not having yet received the promise. But I don't know how it all works but the moment that blood began to drip from that cross it began to redeem and sign uh, on some lines of some saints that had died long time ago. And they, they were there able to know that my faith sustained me and the blood of Jesus has saved me. And that, contain, that, that is the exact same thing that happens to you and I today. My faith sustains me and the blood of Jesus saves me. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. And I hope you have your Bible. I hope somewhere you've written down notes as I have. and Because it will come to, uh, one day you'll be reading and you'll be looking through your book, Bible. And there'll be some notes there. You're going to want to see it and go back to it. Hallelujah. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It'll probably be in the King James on the screen. And uh, that's just because this year I've enjoyed reading a different version than I normally do. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author, and or, or rather, see I'm doing that from memory, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You, you have this chapter that because it's chapter 12, it kind of causes us to pause and sometimes we tend to look at chapter 12 by itself, but that therefore right there at the beginning links it back to something that happened. It's merely completing the idea that was laid out in Hebrews chapter 11 of all of those by faith and we saw them 
what they did. Well, now you and I are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The word picture that you need to get in your mind is a great theater. A, uh, a, a, uh, and I don't mean movie theater. I mean a, uh, an Olympic venue of some sort. Go back to the Roman Colosseum and other Colosseums and what they would have called theaters at that time. They would have had these uh, bowls shaped much like, like football arenas, if you will. And in those, they would have different games. They would have a marathon of sorts or relay races. Many of the track and field events that you see in our modern Olympics have roots within the, the, the Roman games and things that were there in Roman and Greek uh, uh, athletics. And the idea here is that you're surrounded as an as a, a athlete would walk into that arena. They would look around. Not only are they surrounded by spectators, and this is not, this verse doesn't mean we're surrounded by spectators. In fact, the idea is, is that it's a relay race. You know, a relay race, the first person holds the baton and takes off running. When they get to the pre-determined place, they will pass that baton off to the next racer. And they will race, and usually there's four. There could be, it could go eight times, but usually it's four. And they would, they would put that baton in the hand of the next runner, the next leg, if you will. The idea here is that we are surrounded by those who have already ran their race. That we are surrounded by those who have kept the faith and fought the fight and did everything you saw in Hebrews chapter 11. And they passed the baton on to you and I. And now they're watching what you and I are going to do. What are we going to do? They're watching the race that is there. It says if we're going to run that race, then we lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. That sin is exactly what it means. That weight is anything that would weigh you down. For the book of Hebrews, the, um, one of the great hindrances was their desire to go back to the, um, the old ways. To go back to... The, the, the Jewish faith and that, that, that temple mentality. And that was a weight that they had to go. To run unhindered means, uh, if you will, of course, we know they, they wore those long flowing garments. For a man, it was, it was allowed that they could gird up their loins. And literally what it meant was they were to grab the hem of their garment and they could bring it up and tuck it into their belt so that they could race or fight or go into battle. They were to race and to run unhindered. Now, this is not necessarily suggesting that we do this, but the idea, in fact, most of those that would race in those Roman times, they didn't want, want to be at all hindered. And so they would race near naked. And uh, not suggesting that we do that. But that was the idea that it was. Don't let anything hold you back. Run with endurance. Endurance. Can I just tell you today, and you're going to hear this throughout this, this whole thing. Living for God is something you have to do till the end of your life. That's why he's going to say one day, well done thy, my good and faithful servant. 
It's not that you got the Holy Ghost one day when you were 17 years old and then you put it back on the back burner and you did whatever you wanted to do uh, up until now. No, in fact, I would go so far as to say this. The day that matters the most in your life is your last. Where are you? When you breathe your last breath, how are you living when he calls you home? And, and, and that may be too simplistic, and I don't want to necessarily make a doctrine of that, but I want you to think about that. It's where you are at the last moment you take a breath. In fact, that, that does get, get fleshed out in one of the parables that Jesus gave when he talked about the man that went to hire people to work for him. He hired one at the very beginning of the day and then later needed some more and so around noon he hired some more and then around the, the evening time he hired some more and he paid them all the same amount of wages. Some complained, but that's what he promised. Can I tell you today, some of you have lived for God for 60 or even 70 years while others may live for God one day, but if that's the day they die, the result and the reward is exactly the same. Well done. My good and faithful servant. We look to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter. If, if you will, uh, uh, one way to understand that is Jesus is the originator of your faith and he is the completer of your faith. Faith in Jesus is where it starts and Jesus is going to help you keep your faith till the end. That, that verse, it says, looking to Jesus. I, I know we see this in the book of Hebrews could be summed up in this. Don't look back. Now, I don't know that today in this congregation, I don't think there's anybody here that, that really has that hunger, that desire to go back to a Judaism-type uh, mentality. I don't know of anybody here that's, that's wanting to, to, to go back to the, to the Jewish uh, customs and the Jewish laws. But I'll tell you that I've found plenty of people that started living for God and something caused them to go back. Something caused them to return. Can I just tell you, don't look back. Look up. Look to Jesus, the originator and the completer of your faith. Let me show you what Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says. Uh, and again, English Standard Version. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If Jesus started something in you, can you just know this? He will help you end it. He will help you complete it. And I'm so very, very thankful for that. We're not the only ones who, who will suffer in this. Or, or, uh, let, me, let me go back. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting uh, ahead of myself. Uh, look at verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This... Uh, we, we, we see something that, that's common there. We see that Jesus, not only is he the founder and perfecter of faith, and for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. He, he endured from sinners this hostility. And, and, and he says all of that so that you and I won't grow weary. What do you mean? Well, we're not the only ones in life that suffer, if you will, awaiting the glory that is to come. Now, up until this time in the book of Hebrews, uh, they had not quite gotten to the open 
attack on Christianity. In, in, in the, the, the first century, when Hebrews was written, uh, Rome had not yet turned its full attention to uh, eradicating Christianity. Even the Jewish, it, it was very customary, which is why in chapter 11 we talk about it. This is not the time to, to uh, stop worshiping together. It, it, we need to keep assembling. In the book of Hebrews, the first century, they were even still, Christians were still going to the synagogues. Christians were still going to the temple and they were worshiping. And there was, it was kind of okay at this point. Uh, you know, Nero hadn't come. He wasn't starting to take Christians and throwing them to the lions quite yet. There, he, he hadn't flogged anybody and, and stripped the skin off of them and used them as lampshades yet. He hadn't stuck Christians on poles and set them afire so that he could light his pathways in his garden. Uh, that hadn't yet happened. But yet still, there was some, because just like you and I, although I don't think anybody has ever in this congregation been martyred for your faith, I don't know that anyone here has been beat up for your faith, but we've all endured mockings, we've all endured, uh, made fun of, we've had family members that have, uh, some of you have had family members that have just about excommunicated you, but you're not the only one that's had to suffer in this life awaiting glory. Jesus did too. Why? Here's the thing. Jesus said, I'm willing to suffer because the reward is greater than the suffering. Why did Jesus come to earth? He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came that man might be saved. And, and, and even though today persecution is not rampant here in St. Louis against Christianity, but that whatever uh, thing you might face, maybe you got passed over uh, for a promotion because somebody looks down on you. Maybe you face hostility from family or friends, but just the Bible says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I found something very interesting about that word consider. It literally means to compare. Have you ever... Uh, Compared your problems with somebody else's. Some of you are nodding your head. I appreciate you being honest. You raised your hand. Thank you. If you haven't, you're just doing it and not telling anybody. You ever had one of those moments where you were walking and you got really tired, you know, or something like that, and then someone passed you and they had a, 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 a prosthetic leg and you kind of felt bad for feeling tired, and you know, or... Or, you know, something happened, you, maybe you had a cough, and you were, and, and don't get me wrong, man colds are awful, I hate being, you know, sick. You get me a, a cold, and you might as well just put me in a, re, uh, a rehab home, and, and I'm done, you know. But you know how you get, you get one of those colds, or a little sore throat, and you're ready to just hang it all up, you're going to die, and then someone comes in that's fighting cancer, or fighting a major disease, and suddenly your little ailment's not quite that big. Bible says, consider the one who endured from sinners such hostility. That word consider literally means to compare. When you think you've had a hard time living for the Lord, compare what Jesus went through. And suddenly, it puts it into perspective. If Jesus didn't give up, I sure am not giving up. Oh yeah, I've had somebody make fun of me before. Some of y'all make fun of me, I don't it's just how life is. And I've probably dished out my share of, uh, no, don't, don't shake your head, Mike. I love you, bud. 
And uh, I've dished out my share of criticism and maybe poking fun at each other. But you know what? It doesn't come near to the level that my Jesus went through. And if Jesus can make it, I can. Because the Bible says in verse 4, In the struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now remember, at this time of the writer of Hebrews, there had not been many martyrs yet. There had not been this, this blatant attack that you find later in, in history. And the suffering that you go through, is it real? Absolutely. If you face ridicule or you faced uh, exile because of your beliefs, it's real. But you've not yet shed your blood. And I know that the Bible says we daily crucify our flesh. And I understand that there's some things we put down. But I have yet to see any crosses in this town square of O'Fallon with you laid out on it quite yet. So I can just tell you today, you can make it. We'll, we'll hit back this for a moment, but can I just tell you again, you can make it. No matter how bad it seems to get, you need to go grab your Bible and flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. Remember, there's those that have run the race before you. There, there, there's those that are not in Hebrews 11, but it, they're referenced because the Bible says there's so many more I could talk about, but I don't have time. There's grandfathers that you've had and uncles and aunts that you've had and parents that you've had that's walked the road. There's a great cloud of witnesses. You can make it. The writer of Hebrews takes a moment and a step and he flips the switch a little bit. He flips the script. I want you to look at verse, or, or, or verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And then he quotes, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 11. I want to just show you where he's quoting from. And if, Brother Andy, you can put that on the screen, that would be great. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 11. The, uh, it says this, it says, My son... Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I've written down in my Bible here and, and unfortunately I didn't put it. I think it's in Hosea, but I, I could be wrong. It might be uh, one of the other minor prophets. But there is a verse that talks about the rod or the sword. And today the Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 11 that we might have to go through some discipline from the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to think, have you ever, has God ever had to thump you upside the back of the head? Has God ever had to say you're going down the wrong road? Has God ever had to say the direction that you're headed leads to destruction? Turn around, come back. Have you ever had God discipline you? Don't despise it or take it lightly. All of us have kids that we, they, they reach that point where you go to discipline them and they, it doesn't hurt them when you spank them and they laugh at you. Or you, or you do something and they don't take it, uh, they kind of take it lightly that you don't really mean it. Don't do that with the Lord. It's not meaningless. What the Lord does, it's, it, it's not to discourage you. God doesn't do it just because He's God and He likes to thump you or He likes to put His finger on you. But in fact, 
I would tell you that Jesus loves you and because he loves you, he will discipline you. Much like your own loving parents have done. In fact, the writer of Hebrews in verse 6 says the exact same thing, but in his own words he says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. Why don't you listen to this? If God disciplines us, it means he loves us. If God doesn't disciplines, discipline you, then He's given up on you. He says there's no hope. They've gone too far. But we know that's not the case. That's an awful thought. And so I'm glad that God disciplines the ones he loves. And he goes again, verse 7. For is it not discipline that you have to endure? God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Again, he, he's just reiterating in his own words... And the reason is, is because the writer of Hebrews, through the divine uh, push of God, has just spent ten chapters telling people that they were going on the wrong path. They were going back to Judaism. And there was other things that would have to happen. And they were there. In fact, verse 8, he goes a little bit further. If we are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children... And not sons. There are moments that if I'm going to make it, remember that living for God is a process, it's a journey, and it's how you, do, how you are when you end it. I don't want to get to the end and God say, well, you know, back when you were 38 years old, you took a wrong turn, and uh, I probably should have said something, but I didn't, and you just kept going. My, when, when my wife and I were evangelizing, we had our big 34-foot travel trailer that we lived in, our big truck, and we were driving in, in Oklahoma, and, and uh, I went to sleep. And I woke up, and I, I, I knew where we were headed. I woke up, and, and I didn't recognize any of the, 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 the landmarks and things looked wrong, but I didn't say anything. Not for any reason. I just, whatever, all right. Finally, we went about four hours and realized somewhere we'd gotten on the wrong highway. And we were four hours out of our way, which means you got to go four hours back. Eight hours of driving we didn't have to do. I didn't want, I don't want to get to heaven and Jesus go, you know, back then you did, the, you, you took this turn and I never said anything to you. And, and here you are at the end of your life, you, you, you're not going to make to heaven. I want Jesus, if I'm going to take one step in any direction, I want Jesus to say, hey, 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 come back. <laughs> Because I love you. And heaven just isn't going to be the same, Brandon, without you. And heaven's not going to be the same without you. And so whatever I have to do to try to redirect you. And let me show you verse 9. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? I want to show you something that I've learned this year. In the Old Testament, you can read it in, in uh, uh, Exodus chapter 20 or Ephesians chapter 6. You have this commandment, obey your parents. And children, if you obey your parents, the reward is that your life may be long on earth. In fact, all of the old law, and we've spent time talking about this, all of the old law really had nothing eternal to it. It was that you could live a good life and, and 
you know, you, you, you can have a, a long, healthy life. And so here's the, here's the thing. If you obey your parents, and hopefully we all do, if you obey your parents, then your life will be long on earth. But if, obey, if you obey your heavenly Father, your reward is long life in heaven. In fact, it's eternal life in heaven. Now this is where I want to I take just a moment to slow down for a second. Look at verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Now, we're, 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 I'm going to skip down to verse 14, but we're going to go back. Look at verse 14. It says, for, with holy, for without holiness, which no one will see the Lord. The Bible says if, he, if we, he disciplines us, it's so we may share in his holiness. Our parents, while, while we're to obey our parents really as long as, as we live, we ought to respect them, but... In reality, parents only have a short time with their kids until that child grows up and leaves the household of mom and dad and gets their own family. And so there's only 18, 19 years on average that a parent truly has that, that authority where they can raise those kids under their roof. But the Bible says that God's discipline is not for a short time. It ought to be as long as we live. God disciplines us so that we may, and if you read the King James Version, if you'll go back to, to verse 10, uh, Brother Andy, the, the King James Version says that we may be partakers of His holiness. If you'll allow me, and, and, and I have used for a lot of the study of this, and I've said it almost every time I've preached on Hebrews, that I've used Brother Dan Seagrave's commentary, Hebrews, Better Things, which is absolutely incredible, and I challenge you, go get it, and, uh, and you can get it on Amazon, it's less than $10, I think, and, and, and it'd be good for you just to read it, and you're going to say, hey, that's where Pastor preached that, absolutely, I, I used that, I studied that, I marked through my book, I marked through my Bible, I, I looked at other things. But I want to quote to you from uh, a quote that he has on holiness that is just powerful. And I'm quoting, We can only be holy by partaking in his holiness. Now let me get out of the quotes for a moment. We know the Bible says, Be holy for I am holy. We understand that holiness has to be a deep desire of each one of us here in this church. But let me go back to quotes, according to Brother Dan Seagraves. Only God is holy, nothing else. And we can be holy by partaking His holiness. But watch this, morality does not equal holiness. Modesty does not equal holiness. Honesty does not equal holiness. However, if you are holy... You will be honest, you will be modest, and you will have morality. But I will tell you right now, you can have a person be moral, modest, and honest, and not be holiness. Why? Because they don't have a relationship with God. Holiness comes first and foremost when you partake of His holiness, when there is a relationship with Him. 
And again, I'm going back to quotes. Biblical holiness only comes from identifying with the one true God by faith in Him and it's perfected as we respond to His chastening and His, uh, 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 well, and, and obedience to His Word. I want you to get that. I want you to catch that. Holiness is not an act. Holiness is a relationship. Holiness is not a check mark that you can check down the list and say, I did all of these things. Because, man, I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of people that by a check mark list are far more holy, but they don't serve a one true God. You want to talk about modesty? I could take you to a person that you can't see one ounce of their skin because they're covered from head to toe. But they cannot be holy because their relationship is not with Jesus Christ. I am partakers with Him. It's through faith in Him. I believe in Him and my holiness is perfected because I obey Him. The Bible says in verse 11, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of the righteousness to those who have been trained by it. No one enjoys discipline. If you are, you're a sadomasochist. It's wrong. Nobody likes discipline. I don't care if you exercise every day in your life and you go, feel the burn. I love the burn. You're crazy. Nobody likes discipline. But the reason the discipline is there, it's because the reward of that discipline is greater than anything else. Verse 12, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but may be healed. So how do we respond? To the chastening of God. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah. And then we're going to go back to the book of Proverbs for a moment. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 3. It's what we just read in Hebrews is almost a direct quote. It's when, I've written in my Bible, it's a prophetic messianic prophecy. And Jesus himself quoted it. Now the writer of Hebrews quotes it. But this is what needs to happen when your God comes. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those which have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Fear not. The book of Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 26 says this, Ponder the path of your feet, that all of your ways may be sure. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This spiritual weakness that we're talking about, the drooping hands, the weak knees, that, that your path was not straight. You read it in the book of Hebrews. They were dull of hearing. They, 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 couldn't, they, they didn't want to hear the word. All they could handle was the milk of the word, the baby steps of the word. They couldn't handle the meat of the words. They were wandering. They were meandering. It was up and down and crooked paths and unsteady steps. If 
If I could give you the first part of Hebrews in a nutshell, that's where they were. But he says, no, if you'll let the Lord discipline you, if you'll let the Lord pick you up, and set your feet on a firm foundation. That foundation of Jesus Christ. If you'll let him put you there. And, and strengthen yourself. And run straight. Don't look back. Don't wander. Don't meander. Quit going from side to side. Quit being up and down. And just go and run the race that is set before you. Looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of your faith. Don't give up. Verse 14 says that you strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's interesting. There's two statements there. And and if you understand the way that that sentence structure is written, it says strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The only way you can see the Lord is have holiness and have peace with everyone. Find that interesting. I don't have time to preach it, and I, I I should. But can I just tell you today that if you'll read the New Testament, you'll find that there's a lot of time spent talking about no divisions, no strife, no confusions. You have this thing: pursue peace, pursue holiness, and you'll see God. If you don't do it, you won't see God. But watch what he says in verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many may become defiled. To fall short of the grace of God there that we see, that that means to turn away from the work of Christ, to, to be headed in the right direction, and then turn and walk the other way. Someone that comes to church and they're baptized in Jesus' name, but they never do anything else. They failed to obtain the grace of God. It was not God's failing. It's our failing. They failed to obtain it. Now, I've preached, and, and, and we can go, the, the Bible talks, Jesus' parable about the sycamine tree and the bitterness and, and all of that. I, I've spent time. But an a, a intricate look at the grammar of this verse tells us something a little bit different. It tells us that bitterness is the fruit that grows on the vine of trouble. That when trouble comes to our life, if we're not careful, bitterness can be the fruit and it can defile. It's a trouble like I didn't get a promotion. I know it may not make sense to a lot of us, but if you look back in your life, you've seen this. I lost my girlfriend. I lost my boyfriend. My car doesn't work anymore. Somebody hurt my feelings. And all of it. Now, you're saying, Pastor, why are you meddling? No, I'm not meddling because I want you to watch how it all flows in the book of Hebrews. But if you're not careful, trouble can come. Bitterness can grow. And by it many become defiled. You say, well, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to the next verse. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. 
Then it goes on to say, for you know afterwards that when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, even though he sought it with tears. Now, those two, we read two verses, but they go together with that first verse in 15 that we read. Let me put it like this. Here was Esau that had the, 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 he, he had the opportunity for the birthright. There were two things that Esau was supposed to receive. The first one was the birthright. The second was the blessing. The birthright was a double portion of the inheritance. He would have been, if you will, richer by twice as much than his brother. When they divided up his dad's estate, He'd have got twice as much as his brother. It was there. That was the birthright. The blessing was that at his dad's death, his dad would lay his hands on Esau, and Esau would become the leader of that tribe, of that clan, of that group. He would be the one that would make all of the decisions. Do you remember the story of Esau? Esau went out hunting, and he came back, and he was starving. Now, I I do believe he was physically it was not just you and me, we, we, you know, we're supposed to eat at noon and we don't eat till one and we're dying of starvation. That's not what we're talking about. But they didn't have McDonald's, they didn't have places to stop. When Esau went out into the wilderness to hunt, he could have been gone for days and weeks. And you know what? If the, if the hunting was bad and he couldn't catch a fish and his, his provisions ran out, he could have literally had days that have gone by that he had not yet eaten. But he stumbles back into camp and his brother Jacob is making some stew there on the, uh, 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 on the, the, uh, the fire. And he says, oh, I'm starving. Give me something to eat. And Jacob should have been nicer. Jacob says, well, why don't you give me your birthright? And Esau goes, well, you know what? I'm going to die anyway if I don't eat. So what is the birthright to me? And he sold his birthright. Listen to me. You say, how does this all work in the story of Hebrews? Well, we have spent all of this time over the last about two months, maybe two and a half months, telling you how important your salvation is and what God has gone through to ensure that you can be saved and what it means for God to take on an entirely human existence and come down to earth like a baby and walk on this place. And we see the depths that God has gone to save your soul and how important it is. And here Esau Because of life's circumstances, he traded his life's future for something, for a single meal that would have satisfied him for at least three hours, but probably less. Because I love to eat. But you know what? I eat, and three hours later, I'm hungry. He let circumstances of life change him. And he did it. Can I tell you today, it's time that you don't ever let a circumstance turn you away from your eternal reward. Run the race to completion. Run the race to completion. And it looks that he wanted to get the blessing. He was rejected. He found no chance to repent. Not that forgiveness was not possible. That's not what that verse means. But rather, that once he had done the act, it could not be undone. Don't turn back. You've gone too far to turn back now. Would you let me take just real quick and, and, and get you, uh, uh, as, as we make it quick, 
Let me read to you about six verses together, starting in verse 18. For you have not come to what may, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet whose voice and whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken unto them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, it was so terrifying that, the sight, that at the sight of it, Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God and the judge of all, to the spirits and the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let me just, I'd I'd have to send you back to, to, to... earlier studies on Hebrews but I want to tell you right now that as you begin to read and especially here when Israel came to Mount Sinai it was, it was, there, there was fire and darkness and gloom and, and lightning and thundering and trumpet sounding and a voice issued forth but they, they were supposed to go up the mountain we spent time talking about that. It's a little different than, than what we, we sometimes preach about. But as you put all of the verses together, God has always desired relationship. And, and because of that, he, he said, take three days and cleanse yourselves. Take three days. Don't go up to the mountain yet. Take three days. Get yourselves ready and then come up the mountain. But Israel didn't touch it. Israel didn't want it. They were scared. You see it right here. They were scared. In fact, it was so terrifying that Moses trembled with fear. In fact, later, Moses, uh, the people came to Moses and they said, Moses, we don't want to hear from God. Go back and read Exodus. We don't want to hear from God anymore, Moses. You go hear from God and then come tell him what he says. Tell us what he says. The old law, and this is just part and parcel of everything we study in Hebrews. The old law was keep God at a distance. I can't be near him. I can't see him. I can't touch him. i got to go through a priest. I've got to go through a mediator. I can't be there. But you're not at that old law. We're not at an old mountain that we have to touch and see. We're operating by faith. And here we are, not to Mount Sinai or not to Mount Horeb or not in Jerusalem, but we're to Mount Zion. Now you and I can come boldly to the throne of grace. Now you and I can walk with head high and we can come. And look what it says here in verse 23. To the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You know what that makes me think about? I've got a new name written down in glory. My name, we used to sing those old songs like my name is on the And when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Can I tell you today, I'm confident in this fact that because I can go boldly to the throne of grace, I've got an enrollment in heaven already waiting. I've got a reservation there, and I can't wait to get there. I can't wait. Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant. The blood that was sprinkled is far better than even the blood of Abel or the blood of any bull or goat. Watch verse 25. See that you don't refuse him who is speaking. For they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. So how much less shall we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven? 
At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. In the Old Testament, God said, if you don't follow my commandment, I'll punish you. Moses would tell them over and over, thus saith the Lord, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. And if they could not escape the punishment of God, how much more should you and I know this? That if we don't hear his voice today, and we don't respond today, don't think you're going to get away with it. Now I'm going to throw something to you that I've just been thinking about, and it, it needs its own uh, sermon. I know there's a lot of things that are happening in Israel right now. And I know that there's a lot of things that our nation is doing and the United Nations is doing. But can I just tell you that while I do believe Israel is promised that land, you go all the way back to Abraham's promise. But I'm going to tell you right now, Israel is not living in the divine favor of God. If you read in the book of Revelation, the only way that Israel is ever going to regain the favor of God is if they come back into a covenant with him. I know we want to pray for Israel, and we ought to, but don't get caught up. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of things that are going to happen to Israel, and it's happened all the way from the Old Testament, and it happened in Rome, and it happened, or first it happened in Greece, the Greece, Greek came and, and raided it, and Rome's come and raided it, and all of the, the, the Moors came and raided it, because they, have, they, they did not escape when they refused the warnings of God. I love Israel, and I will stand by Israel. But I'm going to tell you right now, God doesn't have some divine favor umbrella over them right now. Because in fact, if you really want to know, they're a pretty atheistic country right now. Most of them don't even believe in God. You can, you can see them. The Bible says we cannot escape when he's warned us from heaven. He said, I, at, that vo at that time on Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he said, yet once more, I will not only shake the earth, but I will also shake the heavens. And that phrase, verse 27, that phrase, yet once more, indicates that the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. One more time, let me remind you. That the old covenant given on the law, on the, the Mount Sinai, given to Moses, has been shaken and all of its trappings have been shaking and it is no more. At that point in the writing of Hebrews, they didn't even have the Ark of the Covenant anymore. But if you'd go just a few years past the writing of Hebrews, Rome was going to come and destroy the temple. Now you don't even have a temple anymore. All of those things, they're gone. But I'm so grateful, verse 28, that I'm receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So thus let us offer to God, and here you go, Sister Morgan, and all the songs that you sung. Uh, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. There's no rivals in heaven. There's no rivals on earth. There's no God before him, no God behind him. There's nothing that should ever swing us away. There's nothing that could ever get us away from God. I've got a kingdom right now that can't be shaken. Do you know how bad the faith of those Jewish people were when Rome came and destroyed that temple? Do you know how bad it shook them when Israel lost their homeland? But there's not a devil in hell 
that can shake what I have right now. <laughs> I, it's just something about that. I've got a faith and a hope. Why don't we just lift our hands for a moment and say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 All of the writing of Hebrews is to tell you how awesome Jesus is. And when you have him, what more do you need? It's 846. We've got one more chapter, but we're going to go real fast because it, it's easy. It's simple. Are you ready, Brother Andy? Verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by some you have entertained angels, angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though you're in prison with them, and those that are mistreated since you are also of the body. How does all this fit together? Well, I've got a kingdom that can't be shaken. And so here's what this new covenant that we've spent all of this time in Hebrews talking about. This is what this new covenant will do for you and I. Number one, it causes me to love my brother and my sister. Because they're in the same body. They've got the same Jesus I have inside of me. But it also causes me to love the stranger. It causes me to remember those who are in prison for their beliefs because they're part of the body and if any part of the body suffers all the body suffers let marriage be verse 4 let marriage be held in honor among all let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous this new covenant makes me love my spouse to keep my marriage pure this is what living for Jesus does verse 5 keeps your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said I will never leave you or forsake you because when I have Jesus I have confidence in him and I can be content with what I have oh there's blessings of living for God and I have more the longer I live for God then, then you know each day it seems that the Lord just blesses a little bit more but I'm content with what I have. So verse 6 says, We can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It wouldn't be a few years after the, the writing of Hebrews that, that Rome would come and, and bring the iron fist down and they would lose things and they would lose homes and possessions and they would be martyred and they would be persecuted. But they could say, The Lord is my helper because Jesus is better. Remember your leaders, verse 7, and those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. It's godly leaders. It's those that have shown you by their example how to live for God. Why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. So what that means is, and, and we've seen in the Old Testament, they live by faith. They live by faith. Peter and Paul live by faith. The elders in the 1800s and the early 1900s, they live by faith. And Jesus doesn't change. 
and his requirements doesn't change. And so I can follow the example that Paul laid before me. I can follow the example that my pastors have laid before me. I can follow the examples of men and ladies of God because Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods which have not benefited those that devoted them. Remember, God doesn't change. Just one more word. Avoid Judaism. Saying you can't eat that meat or you have to eat this or don't eat that. And I don't have time, but I will tell you that even in this day and age, there is a revival, and I don't mean that in a good way, of Judaism that's coming about. See people that slowly start pulling those Jewish traditions, Jewish things, and they, they start wearing the tassels on their on their clothes. And don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For we have an altar, verse 10, for which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. See, we didn't gain access to this altar that we have by law. We didn't gain access by faith. And if you don't believe that, then you didn't listen to anything I said in Hebrews chapter 1 to chapter 10. We gain access through Him. For the Bible says in verse 11, For the body of the animals whose blood was brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin were burned outside the camp. So Jesus suffered also outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. What that means is, in all of the sacrifices that the priests could do, they would sacrifice only parts of it. Go read Leviticus and some of those, and you would see, you know, you're only supposed to take the kidneys and the fat and burn those. And it left perfectly, perfectly good backstraps and perfectly good steaks that the priests could take and they could eat that. That's what sustained them. But that atoning sacrifice was the one sacrifice the priest could not eat any of it. The sacrifice was killed, the blood was shed, the blood was put on the altar, and the rest of that animal they were not to eat. They had to take it outside the camp, and they had to burn it. It was a type and a shadow that Jesus died outside the gate himself. Calvary was not inside Jerusalem. They had to leave the city. It was just one of those things that Jesus liked to do to tie into some things of the old. So we've got to go outside the camp, bear the reproach that he endured. You've got to go outside the traditions and outside the law. You've got to walk to the cross of Calvary. Those Jewish Christians, they had to leave all of the trappings of the law behind. They had to leave the temple. They had to leave it all. For here we have no lasting city. We seek a city that is to come. You and I, I'm not looking for an earthly city. I'm looking for a heavenly reward. So through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips. That they would acknowledge his name. As you stand tonight, we don't offer the sacrifices of lambs and bulls and goats. But there is that sacrifice of praise that we can bring to Him and give Him glory. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What sacrifices are they talking about? Well, we sacrifice our praise. 
We sacrifice by doing good and we sacrifice by sharing. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do it with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Again, these are spiritual shepherds, spiritual leaders who shepherd your soul. I would put my office as pastor in that. That pastors, the shepherd and under shepherd, I'm going to have to give account to your soul. I'm going to have to tell God I preach the word without fear or favor. I did everything you asked me to do, Lord. I tried to direct them when I saw them going wrong. But I want to get to heaven and I want to report. I want the, this is the leaders you're talking about. I want those leaders and those pastors and myself. I, don't, I want to report with joy. Jesus, Brother Kosart, ran the race and he kept his eye on the Christ, on Christ. And, and Jesus, I know he's here because he did it with joy. I don't want to report with sorrow. Hi, Lord. I taught. I prayed for him. But I report with sorrow, they turn back. No, 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 no. I want to report with joy. They kept the faith. They kept pushing forward. They kept believing. The writer of Hebrews kind of begins to end. He says, pray for us then. We're sure we have a clear conscience. We desire to act honorably in all things. He asked him, he said, pray for me. But I was absolutely sure, the writer said, that I'm on the right track in my faith toward Jesus. Here's all everything I proved to you, and I, I showed it to you. We're right. And then he begins, or and then he says, I urge the more earnestly to do this in order that I may restore be restored unto you sooner. The writer of Hebrews so wanted to get back to that congregation personally. Uh, but let me finish it this way. Now may the God of peace who has brought you again from the dead, our Lord Jesus and the great shepherd of sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. I appeal unto you, brothers, bear my words of exhortations, for I've written to you briefly. You know our brother Timothy's been released and of whom I'm going to see that he can come to you soon. Greet your leaders and all the saints and those from Italy. They send you greetings. Grace be with you. But can I take you back to those, those two verses. May the God of peace who brought you again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. I'm going to just tell you right now, you can make it because Jesus is on your side. He didn't say, here you are, you're, you're saved, now go live your life and I'm going to throw you to the wolves and go to it. He didn't just leave you hanging out to dry. He says, I'm going to equip you with everything you need to do to do the will of Jesus Christ. And if God be for us, then who can be against us? Look at your neighbor and say, we can make it because I got Jesus. I want you just for a moment. I know I've been a little bit longer than normal, but it's all right. It's the last time I got to preach this year. I want us just to lift our hands, and I want you to take some time to talk to him about everything that we've heard about uh, in Hebrews. Somewhere God put something in your heart. Somewhere you grabbed hold to it. But I'm telling you right now, run, run. He's here.